Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to the SPE Live Technical Director Series, shared challenges and technologies for maximizing the value and life of completions. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on May 15th, 2023. And now your moderator, Bob Pearson. Good day, everybody. Welcome to this SPE Live Technical Director Series on the shared completions and production challenges and the technologies for maximizing the value and life of completions. My name is Bob Pearson. I'm an independent petroleum engineering consultant and a former technical director. I'll be your moderator and representative in the discussions today. Uh, The session will last about 30 minutes, and we encourage you to post your questions into the chat during the program. It's now my pleasure to introduce Karen Olson, the current TD for completions. She is a senior completions advisor with Well Data Labs, as well as being an independent consultant. She was previously the technology director for Southwestern Energy and has worked in completions and reservoir engineering for more than 37 years. She started her career as a fracturing engineer with the Western Company and then went on to work with Holditch and Associates, Mobile and BP before joining Southwest Energy. The other panelist is Hamad Al-Marie, the current TD for production and facilities. He's been an active SPE member for nearly thirty for nearly 20 years. Hamid began his career as an apprentice with Chevron before joining Saudi Aramco in 1991. He's presently the production and facilities development director for Saudi Aramco. Over the last 30 years, Hamid has worked in production, reservoir management, drilling, and facilities. Karen and Hamid, welcome to the SPE Live. Oh, thank you, Bob. It's good to see you. Yeah, yeah, nice to see you too, too. Yeah. Thank you. Good to see you, Bob, too. Too. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Natalie, behind the scene. And uh, glad to be with uh, Karen and uh, all the l- listeners today and uh, SPE members. Thank you. So I'd like to start off today's discussion with a couple of questions about re-stimulations. Um, Hamid, can, can you kick us off about talking about candidate selection or maybe even deselecting high-risk candidates? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, I, would, I would like to start first with, uh, with the objective uh, of, uh, of the stimulation of the frack cells, uh, mainly to boost the production by increasing uh, the reservoir contact either by the new entry uh, points, uh, new uh, new perfs, uh, or rely on the frack reorientation to the existing uh, perf or ports, enhance the frack conductivity, placing the propent and previously unpropped fractures, or in, uh, energizing the natural frack officials. Now, in order to uh, identify the good candidates, they, they have to have uh, a certain characteristics that will encourage the designers to go and pick them up. Now, uh, long spacing between the stages uh, of previous frack, the rule of thumb is, uh, is to be more than 300 feet in between. Uh, the initial frack uh, of, uh, of low performance uh, due either to, uh, to frack fluid or inadequate uh, prop volume uh, or natural frack presence uh, nearby. Also, underperforming walls uh, when you compare it to, uh, to the offset walls. And sometimes... Uh, for uh, low, uh, uh, because of uh, low operational uh, risk. Now, 
if we look to the other sides, the bad candidates, how we can identify the bad candidates or the high-risk candidates, we'll find that usually they're the ones uh, uh, in depleted uh, or limited or low-pressured reservoir, uh, the ones that uh, uh, they they uh, have had throughout the development of the of the fields or the the placement of the, the of the well uh, well integrity issues due to corrosion, erosion, casing deformation, or issues with with uh, with the cement cement and, and integrity, uh, which usually uh, it will include risk risking uh, uh, the refract by casing uh, damage. Also, you need to look to the production decline in the offset wells and can give you a good indication of a, of of, uh, of the bad candidates before you pick them. Uh, nearby will, uh, water contact uh, is also uh, one of uh, uh, of uh, the sign, uh, especially if you have this information, whether you're uh, uh, refracking uh, gas wells or an uh, oil wells. Karen, Karen, can I maybe pick up across it, pass it yep. across to you as how you see it as a fracturing specialist, how, how you view refracturing? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Well, I think Hamad, he covered so many items that I've, you know, fully agree with. Um, I would I would probably emphasize, and the one thing I'd emphasize is looking for um, old completion styles. So wells that were completed years ago, and, you know, my background for the last 10 plus years has been unconventional. So I'm going to be primarily thinking in my mind, you know, long horizontal wells with multi-stage um, fracks in them. And if you just go back a few years, a lot of the clusters were spaced, you know, 30, 50, say around 50 feet between each other. And currently, you know, most companies are fracking in the 15, maybe up to 30 feet at most. And so you're looking for those wide cluster spacing, um, old completion designs. Um, and then also, like, you know, Hamad said, you want to look to see how did the well perform compared to other wells around it. It could also be used, you know, maybe they used a, you know, um, a different frac fluid. Maybe if you go back far enough, maybe they're using still uh, crosslink or, you know, thicker fluids versus the slick water to look at. Um, for the wells to be careful of, um, the one big thing you got to be careful of, and, you know, at least for refracts, is being able to reenter these long, these horizontals. And so one of the, one of the things you should do is go and look mm -hmm. at their original treating pressures Make sure you don't see were there any plug slippage or casing deformation um, signs. Maybe when they drill the plugs out, where they um, uh, they had some sticking points or something like that. So you just want to be careful. I know in the last few years, um, I think it's gotten better, but we did we have had a bunch of casing uh, deformation issues, a lot of plug issues where uh, sand erosion around the plug has actually eaten the casing away. So we had some well integrity issues. Um, there's been a lot of refracts, I would say, um, in the Eagleford shale. And it's, what seems to be working down there is people are literally just running a new liner in the uh, lateral section and cementing it. Um, so, for example, if you set the, if the well was set up, that's the other thing is what's your casing size? If it was ran with, say, five and a half inch casing, you can then go in and run a four-inch liner and cement in place. And they've had um, excellent success. I know uh, both Devin and Conoco Phillips have done uh, quite a few down there, and they're seeing huge uplifts. I mean, wells that are 
making, you know, 10, 30 barrels a day, going up to over a thousand barrels a day after they, um, they do these restimulations. So the, um, the economics, I think, are there for them if you set them up properly. So yeah, thank you. That makes sense to me to um, maybe look at uh, re-cementing a liner. And, uh, and that brings me across to a sort of related issue on well integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that worries me with initial fracturing and refracturing is just the quality of the cement on the production liner. Hamid, do you want to comment on that? You know, I, 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 agree, I agree with you, uh, Bob. Uh, you know, during, uh, during the frack, if we have an issue, uh, now we need to go back to, uh, uh, to the cement quality during the drilling times. If we have now what could be uh, a weak cement behind the casing uh, or uh, as channels uh, that they were, were, uh, were developed during uh, the cement job during the drillings. Now, once we have, once we have uh, uh, frac operations, uh, would, would lead to, uh, uh, to uh, what could be a CCA, uh, casing to casing analyst, which is normally, it's, it's hard to fix. Now, and this is one of the areas, any, uh, any drillers and, uh, that they will have to watch, especially if they know that this will, will, be, will be fracked that they need to pay more attention to all the solutions uh, the, uh, from, from the cement type that they will be using, from the practices that they, uh, they, will, uh, uh, they will exercise during the drilling time to ensure that, that they do not uh, have an issue in the cement. And sometimes even if they anticipate that they might have an issue with the cement, is maybe to, to use a cement retainer in order to, uh, to enhance uh, uh, the cement uh, uh, quality behind the casing and to prevent what could be uh, a breach into the cement uh, uh, and a damage that sometimes irreversible and you could lose your well, uh, you know, if you frack it and you end up with the high CCA in the, in the back size of the well that could cause risk to, uh, to the surrounding uh, areas or near, nearby uh, communities. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Karen, I, I think that um, the well integrity technical section and the fracturing technical section have all been doing quite a bit of work in this space. Do you, do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. So there is a well integrity um, technical work group and they've been working really hard. They're, they're actually putting together a database to try to identify, you know, what are the key issues of causing these uh, well integrity issues, you know, where we're having um, casing deformation. Um, this is something that uh, Martin Rylance and George King and um, some others have been working on. They are they are having too a technical um, section um, or session at ATCE in um, San Antonio this year to talk about that specifically. So I think it would be good uh, good for everybody to listen to. They're also looking for they're coming up with common terminology, something as simple as just, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page when they're saying, you know, casing deformation, what does that mean, uh, for example. But, you know, having a good cement job along the lateral is so critical um, when you're doing these horizontal wells. And you're going to be, fr- if you're fracking and you're putting perforations every 15, 20 feet apart, you better have a good cement job. Otherwise, it's just sort of pointless in a way. Um, you know, otherwise you'll create super fracks or re, you know, reconnect with the previous stage and 
Now all of a sudden you got fracks going two pads away, for example, and draining parts of the reservoir that you don't want it to and leaving other parts undrained. So, I mean, there are some best practices that the uh, well integrity group have come up with, like um, reciprocating the casing and um, rotating it during the cement job they found to seem to work, seems to work quite well. Um, but yeah, well integrity is, is so important. And I've, I've been looking at for the last couple of years, thousands of stages during them um, working for uh, well data labs and doing sealed well bore pressure monitoring. And on the, mo- I will say in the most part, the companies are getting so much better, you know, because I can tell if, um, if a well has a bad cement job or if there's a near fault or, or something like that, but, you know, just by how fast a frac comes in contact with that offset, you know, sealed well bore. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't happen as much as it used to. So I, I think the word's getting out and, um, and it's getting better, which is good. Yeah, so a sort of related topic to this is, is um, looking at how we can utilize existing well bores and existing facilities um, for carbon capture utilization or carbon capture and sequestration. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to ask both of you about your thoughts on where the challenges lie and maybe where we need some more R&D for that matter um, as we move into something completely new. So, Hamid, maybe you can kick us off. You know, um, uh, what we need to start with is uh, is how we want to look to the CCS uh, completion first, since uh, whether we want to develop uh, a new structure or uh, or use uh, uh, an existing assets and repurpose them to uh, for the for the sake of uh, uh, of this uh, uh, you know carbon capture and storage uh, objectives. Now we need we need first to to ensure to go and check the reservoir characterizations. Now for the fundamental capacity and the properties of the rock, uh, the fluids and potential interaction with the CO two. This one. Now uh, under understanding. Uh, the, uh, its capacity to capture the CO2, to the CO2, then to verify the integrity of its sealing and confinement to uh, to prevent what could be an issue of uh, of leakage of uh, of the CO2s uh, and uh, and the loss of of your storage integrity. Now this will uh, this will help to an- to anticipate the operating envelope itself by knowing the injection, the shutting pressure, the temperature at both the surface and downhole. Now, knowing the fluid properties and the partial pressure of the CO2 and HTS will help also in the material selections for the completion itself. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I understand that sometimes simpler is better. And, uh, and by uh, minimize the completion components, the materials taken into account, and maybe if we have a, a completion of a carbon steel that can help. Now, now, we've got to be careful. We've got to make sure that since... Now, uh, the, 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 since the, the CCS business is picking up, we'll have to make sure that by designing uh, the CCS wells and, 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 uh, and, stu- and, and storage structure itself, we'll have to make sure that we increase the chance of success by, uh, uh, by doing uh, every, everything to near, if I would, near perfection order to prevent any incident at this stage that could stigmatize the, uh, the, the 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 CCS business. Now, um, 
now this will depends also it will have to be careful about the exposure by selecting the location the fluid properties based on the selection to optimize the cost itself so also you know we want to make sure that we do not exceed the limits uh, in terms of cost one of the areas that we'll have to make sure whether it's existing assets or new assets we'll have to ensure that we equip the wells with monitoring means be the hms uh, uh, temperature temperature sensors in order to fiber optics if if you would uh, mm -hmm. surface and downhole mm -hmm. And if we can do even real time that acquire to build the productive models, um, now now if in some new if new wells maybe we can even uh, uh, lean to uh, uh, more uh, uh, strong metallurgies like the CRA or GRE materials mm -hmm. as as commonly used to to minimize the corrosion, especially if we know that there is uh, also edge to edge presence in in uh, in the reservoir or in the fluid that we will be uh, storing. Thank you. Yeah, good, good overview of all the concerns. Uh, Karen, um, I don't know whether you're, you, you can comment on this, but for, for those of us living and working overseas, it's a bit confusing uh, looking at the US that the EPA has a different designation of class six wells for CCS and class four wells for CCUS. Uh, could you comment on that a little bit, or is, is that outside yeah. your expertise? Uh, I can comment on it a little bit, Bob. So, you know, the EPA has a what they call Class 6 for CCUS um, injection wells, which are very much more stringent than Class 4 in terms of you have to make sure that you can prove that you got, as uh, Maud said, a seal to contain your um, your uh, CO2 in the horizon you're injecting it into. You have to be able to monitor the plume and show where it's going. And so um, there's been field trials going on where people are doing, um, you know, seismic, you know, multiple seismic to try to show where the, can you imagine trying to figure out where the CO2 is moving in the subsurface, especially if you're in a carbonate, you know, it's, it's not homogeneous or anything like that. And then you have to monitor, as Maud said, you know, uh, temperatures and um, your casing pressures. And so it's, a, it's very strict. Uh, one, one thing that I'd like to say, though, is, you know, we've been, at least in the States, we haven't necessarily been doing CCUS, you know, just to um, store CO2, but we have been doing CO2 EORs since the early 1990s successfully. Um, in existing oil fields. Uh, when I worked for Mobile out in the Permian, uh, we were um, injecting for EOR purposes very successfully in like in the slaughter field, Salt Creek uh, field. Um, the thing you have to be careful though and is you can build all these models you want, but they you never can really capture the heterogeneity that you see. For example, I remember Salt Creek all the modeling that was done ahead of time said we wouldn't see a breakthrough at, to the first producer for six months. And so the facilities thought they had extra time to get all the facilities ready when we actually saw a breakthrough um, in six weeks. And it was just because, you know, those string, there may be those, you know, stray stringers and all of a sudden, you know, CO2 being a gas, it's going to go where it wants to go 
and it just zipped on across and, you know, showed up and we just had to, next thing you know, we're shutting in a bunch of producers because the facilities weren't ready. So I think we do need to come up with a better monitoring and new technologies for the CCUS. Uh, Hamad mentioned fiber optics. I think fiber optics could be a good one. Um, the other thing that I'm concerned about in existing fields is, you know, you're going to do your best for all these new wells for, for your injection wells. But what if you have existing vertical wells all over the place? You better get a baseline across your whole field and monitor all these um, other existing well bores that uh, could be across the field to make sure that you don't have any well integrity issues in those. That, that's that's my biggest concern in doing CCUS these days and um, yeah. in old fields. So. Yeah, um, I think, I think the, um, PNA the new PNA technical section is going to be doing some stuff together with the CCUS technical section around exactly that. How do we yeah. properly abandon the existing penetrations to allow CCS? Yeah. Anyway, if I could lead you to a couple of right our water zones yeah. on there. Can I lead you to back to fracturing for a minute? We've got a couple of interesting questions mm -hmm. from the audience. Um, uh, Pierre-Edouard uh, Vincent was asking about, in the primary cementing of long liners, what percentage of wells do you think um, use advanced slurry placement models to refine uh, these practices? Uh, that's that's a good question. And Pierre, I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I'd have to ask our drilling TD, Robin, on that one. Um, I just know in my um, previous role as technical director at Southwestern Energy, we had um, just learned from best practices of reciprocating casing and rotating the casing strain while we were cementing and making sure that we had returns, um, you know, all the way, quite honestly, all the way back to surface. Um, and whether, I don't think we ran any um, fancy software to do it though. I don't know, Hamad, how about yourself over in the kingdom? Yeah, are you aware of them? The drilling doing any fancy slurry software? I, I know. I know that um, you know it's exactly the same practices that you just uh, highlighted, uh, Karen, and uh, uh, and and we're doing we're doing the the same the same. Especially when when we go to uh, we need to simulate, uh, and we need to, uh, to simulate that. Uh, of course, the uh, the trajectories, especially especially when we know. That there will be uh, what could be a, a washout during uh, the placements of uh, of the laterals, because uh, uh, because if if you do not uh, plan well uh, your uh, uh, your laterals, and you do uh, the the, the cementing, you might end up with a weak spots that during the fracking could cause a deformation of of the lateral. Yeah. Yeah, I actually just looking at a well exactly like that, as you say, uh, Hamad, the, the tortuousness of the well path meant they couldn't uh, rotate when they planned to. And so they ended up with a poorer cement job than they expected because they couldn't, they didn't have enough torque to be able to rotate the pipe. Yeah. And, you know, some of the um, latest um, ideas for drilling um, is these U-shaped wells. And I don't know how 
that would impact the torque and being able to rotate the casing uh, for these companies, which I think is a cool idea. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, I actually have this vision of a U-shaped well with the second part of the U, the toe section of it being a slotted liner and then fracking and hitting it. (laughs) Hitting, fracking the first part of the U and hitting the um, slotted liner part of the U. So, yeah, drilling doesn't like me right now, but, um, yeah. So, but those would be critical, too, on there. So, it's a great question. Thanks thanks for that, Pierre. I've I've worked on a couple of U-shaped wells in in conventional applications. It's great in some conventional applications, uh, but, indeed, it really really needs a fully integrated well engineering team which yeah um, what i what i've typically seen is models and everything will be run on maybe the first well when you go to do something new like like say you, all of a sudden you're going from 10,000 foot laterals to 15,000 foot laterals they'll run some model software to double check everything and then if they successfully do it then they don't they don't run any models after that yeah, and and that maybe leads nicely to uh, Pierre Edouard's second question, which is um, relating to um, risk-based uh, analysis and management um, for working in well engineering. Um, do you want to comment on that in in a general sense, Hamid? No. Uh, um- let me uh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mainly, mainly uh, we, need, we need to understand now the risks of dealing with the CCS. Now, the, the, the objective of the CCS is to ensure that uh, uh, we uh, maintain the confinement of the CO2 downhole for long life of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the storage. So, you know, the, 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 and this is to the start you know, in uh, you know, in uh, early during the design phase, uh, and the selection of the structure itself to ensure that it's very well sealed, and when you to drill the walls, to drill to drill the walls with all the accessories in the walls, that they will be very durable to live long throughout the life cycle of, of the fields. Uh, and now uh, we'll have also to make sure that even d- either during the operations at the surface or during. The, the life of the wells that there is no you know chance even slim chance of any will integrity and the wells that could lead to uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 seeping or the leakage of uh, of the CO2s to either shallower uh, aquifers or even to uh, behind the casing to the surface to the extreme uh, uh, cases so uh, so the selection of of the completion metallurgy is very important for the durability of of the wells the location itself of uh, of the surface uh, spot or the placement of the wells is very important to be uh, far away and uh, in a very safe areas away from even the populated uh, communities so uh, uh, now uh, now we need we need to select the locations the spot itself where we will place our wells we need to ensure that we have uh, uh, a stringent design for uh, uh, for the completion itself. Uh, uh, it could be it could, could be more expensive than the normal wells, but it's it's worth it because this will be long life investment uh, for the CO two. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Karen. the monitoring, the monitoring, of course. So even if it requires to go with intelligent 
you know, uh, completions to uh, to keep monitoring the wells uh, throughout the injections uh, and and uh, the reservoir self pressures. This is would be uh, uh, would be even uh, uh, cherry on the back, on the cake. Unfortunately, a lot of good questions here, but we're running out of time. So, uh, Karen, do you want to um, maybe yeah. uh, close out with a, just a quick comment on on uh, risk-based design and then your closing thoughts? And we'll come back to Hamid for his closing thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Maybe two minutes each. Okay, thank you, Bob. So, one of the things I learned when I was working in deep water and you have these big, important projects that are new and you don't necessarily know all the risks that could happen is, uh, we would always do like a, a, a Mars or a major risk assessment. And we'd have a group of, you know, 10, 12, you know, engineers. And we would just try to identify every risk that could occur, both short-term and long-term. And then what were the possible ways to reduce that risk or eliminate that risk. And the, the thing about it is, you know, you have to address, anytime a risk would be brought out, you have to address it. You can't just let somebody say, oh no, that's not, not a big deal. You have to come up with how are you gonna address it? For example, you know, somebody could say, oh, well, how are you gonna prevent, you know, CO2 coming up the backside of your casing? And we'd have to come up with at least two, two solutions to that, that risk. Or how are we going to prevent, I see somebody said, what are the um, legal liabilities on there? It's like one of the best things from a legal perspective, and this is just my opinion on this, of course, is to get that baseline and understand what, what you're starting with, what's your starting point across the whole field. So that means collecting samples from um, all any water wells or having a water wells that you can monitor and get good solid baselines. And then you do your very best to make sure that you've set this up for success, as Hamad said, and success for the long term, not just to be able to prove that you can inject, you know, CO2. Um, in closing, um, I think we got a great industry. I, I love working in the oil field. And, um, and I think everybody, you know, in their heart is trying to do their very best um, when it comes to, you know, completing and producing uh, these oil and gas wells. And then we're also leading into other, um, helping other technologies, the CCUS. We didn't touch on geothermal, but, you know, geothermal is, um, is uh, we're helping the uh, the geothermal group, for example, we're help, there's a Utah Forge out in Utah uh, that we're helping, you know, taking oil and gas technology to the geothermal group. Uh, did you know that they never pump profit when they frack a geothermal well? And here we are from oil and gas going, no, 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 you got to pump profit, something as simple as that. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to also um, let everybody know that abstracts, uh, for the hydraulic fracturing uh, conference is open right now. So now's your chance to write that abstract and submit it. And this is for the HFTC that's in um, the Woodlands every year in February. And then we also have an international hydraulic fracturing conference in Muscat, Oman, and coming, uh, coming up real soon is September 12th to the 14th, which I'll be there 
for that. And this will be our third year to hold it there. And it's a wonderful event. We have um, papers from all over the world being presented there. So it's a great one. And, oh, there is a geothermal workshop in August down in uh, Galveston. So anybody interested to see what we're doing from the oil and gas perspective for geothermal, that I'll be there for that one as as well. So, Bob, right. I, thank you. And thank you very to much. Ahmed, two, two minutes. We, we, we will take that liberty that they gave us of running over <laughs> by five minutes. So two minutes for you, Ahmed, to close it out. Okay, th- thank you, Bob. Uh, just I want to recap a quick. We talked uh, about the stimulations, and this is one of the means to maximize the value of uh, of uh, any operator's assets. Uh, we need to leverage the technologies that we have in hand in order to increase the chance of the success of uh, of the stimulations. Uh, we need also to uh, get into uh, the micro size, micro production log, do the BTAs, and utilize the tracers, new technologies, the fiber optics to help us maximize the value. Of, uh, of our assets. We talked about the oil integrities. Uh, also, we need always, always to make sure that uh, uh, both uh, uh, all, the, uh, all the entities working on, on, a, on a designing of the walls to pay more attention to, uh, to the cement operations, to, uh, to deliver the walls with the least chance of oil integrities and loss uh, on, the, on the operators uh, uh, and, uh, and the investments. Uh, we uh, also we talk about the CCS, the CCS potential. Uh, we need to uh, to educate ourselves more and to ensure that uh, we go uh, with uh, uh, with the designs that, uh, today, since uh, this is uh, now worldwide will be one of the first batch of the CCS. We need to invest lavishly, if you would, in order to make sure that uh, we uh, uh, reduce uh, the chance of any failures to the minimum in order not. To uh, uh, to lo- lose the image of the industry, we have enough, uh, and uh, uh, we uh, we have. And I encourage, of course, uh, uh, our colleagues in uh, in SPEs to take the advantage of all the technical sections that we have. It's uh, uh, in SPEs, hydrogen. We have the hydrogen. We have the PNA, a newly uh, born uh, technical sections with a lot of potential, uh, and uh, and uh, you know that. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, of great topics that uh, we're discussing in the MPA, and we need to capitalize on this experience. Thank you, Bob. Uh, thank you, Karen, for uh, uh, giving me the chance with, with, uh, to be with you today and with the audiences. Back and to you. Th- yeah, thank you both for your time and your thoughts. G- great session. We could go on for a long time, but unfortunately, <laughs> we've, uh, we've only got 30 minutes. We overrun it by our 10%, so <laughs> what can I say? Uh, except thank you. And uh, see you soon. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast.